Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episode 40 of the story of Minglan or Zhifo, Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas or else email us. Also, leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to. Episode 40 is chock full of interesting Chinese wedding traditions, which we have researched and will explain. There's absolutely way too much to cover in one podcast episode, so we are going to split discussing episode 40 into multiple parts. For this episode, we will cover the wedding up to until the wedding procession returns to the Gu Manor. I will caveat that there are probably certain things we have missed in this episode. So if there is indeed something you want us to explain, let us know and we can add it to the next episode. Well, let's remind us where we are in the drama. In the last episode, episode 39, Minglan finally agrees to marry Gu Tingye. Her sister Rulan gets to marry the man of her dreams, Wen Yanjing. We don't get to see Wen Yanjing and Rulan's wedding though, which I'm assuming is to save on production costs and also that's not the point of the drama. <laughs> well, as we see in today's episode, this drama is probably the most uh, recent drama to popularize or actually to feature a green wedding dress for the bride. That certainly set off a precedent. So now I've seen a lot more dramas portray green wedding dresses, especially for this time period. Previous dramas just chose red, which is incorrect. And we'll talk about that uh, in this episode. I'm super excited to be talking about this episode in particular. There are so many things to explain or just nuggets of information in this episode. So we start off episode 40 where we left off in episode 39. Minglan has agreed to marry Gu Tingye and is now undergoing the necessary preparations. Grandma Sheng is having a heartwarming chat prior to the wedding itself and provides Minglan with some property deeds. The deeds represent a steady stream of income or personal wealth to use in the future. This is to help Minglan secure her position with her new in-laws. After all, money is king. For me, though, the most important component of this conversation is another piece of life advice about how to manage people. The phrase Minglan uses is 用人重性, 时常查检. I don't think the YouTube translations are that accurate because to me, what this phrase means is when using people, trust them heavily, but periodically review their work. As Milan explains, even the most honest people without supervision may develop other thoughts as your employees. It's a balancing act for sure. For all those managers out there, keep this in mind for your staff or your teams. I personally really enjoyed this I guess, brief conversation about how to manage a new household because these are all important managerial skills for both Minglan and us. 
In any case, Grandma Sheng is going through her pile of deeds she'll give to Minglan as part of her dowry. Apparently, Madame Wang also gave Minglan the same amount she gave to her own daughter, Rulan, at the behest of her father, or Minglan's father, Sheng Hong. That is a little surprising considering that Minglan is not Wang Danyang's daughter or the Di Chu. The items gifted to Minglan as Pingli or the bride price in order to marry her from Gu Tingye was also included in her dowry. So overall, I would say Minglan's pretty set. It's really cute, but Minglan cannot bear to part with her grandmother. Overall, though, both of them are pleased with this match. And so we will next turn to the wedding. Kathy explained in episode one of this drama what the key components of Chinese wedding traditions are. There are six rites, R-I-T-E-S, for the marriage to happen. The drama skips over quite a bit of it, uh, but why is all this about a dowry so important? For this podcast episode, we will be discussing key historical and cultural components displayed in the drama as we're going through and recapping the episode. Otherwise, I think it might break up the, the episode too much. So first, Kathy will discuss the dowry in Imperial China. In Imperial China, especially for bureaucratic and aristocratic families, a woman's dowry is extremely important for the woman and her family. Dowries could include land, house deeds, servant contracts, furniture, clothes, jewelry, and of course money. For certain elite families, elders will begin to prepare for the woman's dowry shortly after she is born. There could be strict rules on what to prepare, such as the types of clothes, the specific embroidery, and what is included for everyday use. Oftentimes, how well the bride is treated at her husband's family can be directly attributed to the amount she brings for her dowry. The more she brings, the better off she will be because, well, she has the money. The first record of dowry originated all the way back during the Warring States period. So that's 2,500 plus years ago. Throughout the centuries, dowries were not that extravagant, but during the Song Dynasty, that gradually began to change. During the Song Dynasty, the law changed so that a woman's dowry was her own personal property. Neither her husband nor her husband's family could confiscate a woman's dowry for their own personal use. During this time, a woman who becomes widowed could actually take her own dowry with her if she remarries. Scholar officials and bureaucratic families also began to prepare extravagant dowries because in their mind, this was a very good investment to strengthen family ties and networks. However, this meant that dowries sometimes were worth a lot of money. Throughout this drama, we've spoken about time and time again how Sheng Hong is actually a pretty upstanding guy because he does not deign to uh, take any money from his wife's dowry, which is what is supposed to happen. But as we've seen in the case of the drama itself, that is not always the case. There are many men who have used their wives' dowries in this drama already. Mm -hmm. Now, specifically for the Song Dynasty, 
There is a story that involves a very famous Song Dynasty poet, Su Chu, and the dowry that he had to prepare for his daughter. This Su Chu is known as one of the eight masters of the Tang and Song, or Tang Song Ba Da Jia, basically a premier master of prose and poetry. He was a big deal. He was an official. He had fame and a decent amount of money. For his daughter's dowry, though, he still felt that he had to sell a plot of prime real estate to have enough money to give to his daughter. I read an estimate that the amount he received for the land is now worth millions. I mean, in today's money, which is a lot of money. In private, he wrote that he basically went broke to marry off his daughter. This story also reflected an issue of the times in which some families. Couldn't prepare a dowry for their daughters. Women from families of poor backgrounds simply just didn't get married because their families couldn't afford a dowry. In a southern province, an official placed a limit on the dowry amount, and immediately wedding numbers rose right after. The extravagance of the dowry also、uh, exacerbated the already heavily patriarchal society or favor towards having sons. Having daughters meant giving money away when she married, while having a son meant the wife would bring the dowry and spend it on the future children. That's a pretty big win for the groom's family, and not so much for the bride's family. So again, all in all, a dowry is very important to a woman as it dictated whether she could marry, who she could marry, and the rights that she had. Well, that is why in the book and the drama. Ming Lan's family places a lot of emphasis and strategy with her dowry and the dowry of the other women in the drama. Now, with that understanding of the dowry or jia zhuang, let's turn back to the drama. Today, it is the day of the wedding, and what an extravagant wedding it is! Gu Tingye pulls out all the stops in order to ensure that Minglan weds in a luxurious manner. On his side, he sets off from the Gu Manor by horseback, decked out in red, with numerous servants lined up to help him yingqin, which means to welcome the bride. The large signs, red signs in front,、uh, being held by servants, on one of them says "yingqin zhixi," which translates to "the joy of going to be married," and on the other says "gu sheng lianyin," which translates to "the wedding alliance of the Gu family and the Sheng family." It is truly an impressive entourage. You can see the number of gifts being carried over to the Sheng family. The instrument heavily featured during this procession is, I believe, called the sona. This is a double-reeded horn instrument that has first appeared in China in the third century and is a staple in Chinese、uh, events such as weddings or funerals. In some more local places in China, you can still hear this instrument for weddings and funerals today. And once again, the, the drama doesn't fully explain who's in the entourage for Gu Tingye. So let me explain. There are four people who, I guess, escort him that are not servants to the Gu family that are part of, like you call him, like the bachelor side、um, party. If there was a bachelor party, these individuals was would most definitely be invited. First, there's Shi Tou, Gu Tingye's trusted servant. There's Gu Tingwei, Gu Tingye's younger brother, Geng Jiangjun, 
General Geng, and Duan Jiangjun, General Duan. The latter two are trusted generals who helped the current emperor ascend the throne and are friends of Gu Tingye's from his time in Yuzhou or when he was in the military. They were on screen briefly in episode 35 as the group helped to quell the coup happening in the palace. Now let's turn back to the bride, Ming Lan. She's praying to her ancestors at the Sheng family shrine, wishing for good luck in her marriage. The text that she recites, I don't think is required for new brides to say in front of their ancestors. After some research, the language originates from a Song and Yuan Dynasty period text called Kuai Zui Li Cui Lian Ji, or the recording of the fast words of Li Cui Lian. It's written in vernacular Chinese, which essentially means more layman's terms, and there is no author for this book, but the text was compiled into one in 1961, and the lines that Minglan recites requesting for good luck and whatnot are almost directly lifted, or at least the first um, 40 or so words are directly lifted from this text. As she is praying, one thing I don't think we've really explained for this drama is how people pray or greet people during this period. As Minglan is praying to her ancestors, you'll see that the way she's holding her hands are quite particular and different from what we have seen in previous dramas, such as Empresses in the Palace. She has her two hands folded together, almost in a fist, with her two opposing thumbs crossing over each other. This is called a cha shou li. There is a behind-the-scenes clip where the drama has the uh, rights, the li fa instructor, explain what this is. The cha shou li, or the cross-handed greeting, that's my rough translation, um, is for Minglan, where she has her thumb covering her, her right thumb covering her left thumb. This is particularly important as in Chinese tradition, men represent the left and women the right. So for women, their right thumb is on top, but for men, it's the left. This, I think, is the opposite of Western culture, because I think in Western culture, uh, women represent the left. This type of greeting, so to speak, became the norm in the Jin dynasty starting in 300 AD and persisted all the way through the Yuan dynasty, or when the Mongols took over China about a thousand years later. Interestingly enough, as they describe in the behind the scenes clip, when you are at a funeral, the order of where your hands are placed on top switches. So at a funeral, Minglan's left thumb would be on top instead of her right thumb. And then for men, their right hand or right thumb would be on top instead of their left. Now that Milan has said her prayers, she's ready to transform into a beautiful bride. But let's turn over to Gu Tingye. Outside, we see a massive crowd in front of the Sheng family entrance. At the entrance, you see all the men that are part of the Sheng family already. They are blocking Gu Tingye from entering the Sheng manor and basically joke that Gu Tingye has to pass their tests in order to enter the manor and greet his bride. This act is called Lan Men, which literally translates to block the door. It's a fun and joking way to add a festive cheer to the atmosphere. 
It was and is customary for the male relatives of the bride to test the groom. This is also to show that the bride has support from her family and that the groom should be very wary of treating her poorly if he wants or decides to do that in the future. On the Sheng family side, we see Minglan's brother-in-laws, Molan's husband, Liang Han, Rulan's husband, Wen Yanjing, and I think Hualan's husband, Yuan Wenxiao. Minglan's second brother, Chang Bai, is quietly in the back watching this all unfold. And interestingly, we do not see Chang Feng, Minglan's third brother, in this group. But, telling you again, this drama does not label anyone anymore, so you don't know who they are. On Gu Tingye's side, it's his group of four there to help him with these tests. Liang Han is first to test Gu Tingye. Gu Tingye is now a general, so Liang Han asks a military question. If my army has 10,000 troops, and the enemy army has 10,000 troops, and they meet on a flat plain, how do we win? General Duan steps in to poke holes into his question. What types of troops are these, and where are these troops from? Are they cavalry or just footmen? Are they uh, are these enemies from Wan Yan family or Ye Lu family or Xi Xia Li family? This last line is a throwaway line, but actually I think is I personally really enjoy it because it further emphasizes the troubles of the time in the Song Dynasty that there are plenty of enemies along various borders. The Wan Yan family is pointing to the ruling family of the Jurchen people, or in Chinese, the Jin Dynasty to the northeast of China. The Jin Dynasty wasn't established until several decades after the setting of this drama, so it may just be that the general wanted to name the threat from this family that uh, may be established at this point in time. Next is the Ye Liu family, which points to the ruling family of the Liao dynasty that covered northern China and was a powerful adversary of the Song dynasty during this period. They were established uh, for several centuries already at this point and most certainly were feared um, amongst the Song people at this point. The last family named is the Li family of Xixia, which is the Western Xia Empire to the northwest of the Song Empire, ruled by Tangut people. These three, the Jin, Liao, and Western Xia Empires, were considered the biggest threats to the Song Dynasty. Now back to the wedding, the crowd throws their support to Gu Tingye's side as the questions posed by General Duan were all really good. Exactly right. Like, Liang Han, you have to provide more insights into what type of enemy uh, Gu Tingye would be fighting, right? And it definitely shows the group's military acumen. Then Wen Yanjing steps in to ask, why doesn't Gu Tingye make a poem to help the bride to hurry up? The general term for this type of poem is called a Cui Zhuang Shi, which directly translates to urging makeup poem. Now, what I really ac actually enjoyed about this Lanmen activity or this blocking of the groom at the door activity is that it showcases Gu Tingye's ability to pivot between both military or more physical attributes, but it's also highly learned and scholarly. 
The term in Chinese would be neng wen neng wu, or which means that somebody can do both the military stuff and the scholarly stuff. Or you could say wen wu shuang quan, which essentially means the same thing. Normally, someone who is highly athletic or focused on fighting or the military is not a scholarly individual, or vice versa. As you can see, Gu Tingye's friends do not have the capability to help him create a poem. They were only able to help him with military questions. Here, it is clearly displayed that Gu Tingye has the ability to do both, and I think this piece is really important. That、um, is not fully explained in the drama. You can only get it in tidbits like this. In any case, in front of the crowd, Gu Tingye makes a poem that is quickly relayed over to Minglan, who chokes on her cup of wine as the poem is stating exactly how she's feeling. Luckily, her maid Dan Ju translates the poem、uh, and explains it for both Xiao Tao and us. The poem basically、uh, is goes like this: Milan is getting shy and afraid to get on the wedding litter. She should drink some wine to help with her nerves. After the wine, she'll be braver and her cheeks will be flushed, so she won't even need to put on blush for her cheeks. It's a cute scene as it shows just how well Gu Tingye knows Minglan, because <laughs> Minglan's actually just drinking the wine right there. Dan Ju, the maid, now refers to Gu Tingye as Gu Ye. This is how the husband of a woman is referenced amongst her own family and, of course, the servants. The woman at home is called Gu Niang, so Minglan、uh, is referred to as Gu Niang by Xiao Tao、uh, and Dan Ju. And so the husband will be called Gu Ye. It might be a little bit confusing if you've never heard the term before, so I wanted to clarify it here. For those of you who are、uh, reading the subtitles, this、uh, might not、uh, matter to you. But Gu Ye again refers to any of the husbands to a certain woman. Outside the main entrance, the other brother-in-laws are still giving Gu Tingye a jokingly hard time. But he ultimately pushes through. Gu Tingye's younger brother starts chucking money on the ground and giving out hongbao or red envelopes to help clear a path and stop people from blocking the party. Red envelopes or hongbao, obviously, are still used today to give money and good luck. Hilariously, Chang Bai, Minglan's. Older brother and one of Gu Tingye's best friend, or maybe his best friend, is inside the threshold of the Sheng household. But he's lamenting how their defenses fell and pretty much judging the other brother-in-laws for not putting more of a fight. Only to reveal to Xiao Tao that a few days ago, Gu Tingye gifted him a painting by the Song Dynasty artist Gao Keming. This is a real guy in history where we don't have documented、um, his birth and death, but he was painting around the time of Song Renzong's reign and a little earlier. So the timing of this drama at least matches. Xiao Tao is like, uh, so you received a painting from Gu Tingye and are not doing anything, but are still saying how the other brother-in-laws were spies or did not have the will to put up more of a fight. <laughs> Chang Bai is like. 
I received the painting, so I can't block Wu Tingye. But that doesn't mean I can't judge the other guys. <laughs> he's hilarious, and he's like Xiao Tao. You need to know who's good and bad. You have to be able to tell black and white apart. Okay, Chang Bai. Okay. Inside the main hall, we finally see the bride and groom conducting the festivities at the Sheng household. The room is bedecked with signs of the word Xi, which means happiness, but written twice, which signifies the double happiness for the bride and groom. There is red everywhere, as it is the color of weddings in China, and red means good luck in Chinese culture. Minglan's outfit is extravagant. The wedding crown, you could say, is exceedingly lavish. Interestingly, she is wearing a green dress, and instead of a red cloth covering her face, as we are used to seeing in other dramas, she is only holding a fan to cover her face. Let's explain her outfit, and we will contrast this with her older sister Muolan's outfit, at, as it is quite stark. Let's start with a fan. This is called a chueshan, I believe, or a shyness fan, you could say, which is primarily used in this dynasty time period to help a woman hide her shyness during the wedding ceremony. The other usage is to ward off negative spirits. Only until after the wedding ceremony should the woman remove the fan, which signifies the end of the ceremony. This practice has documentation as far back as the Qing Dynasty, though certain dramas portray this practice even earlier. There is a legend that all, that basically states the creator of time married with this type of fan. Minglan's fan is circular or yuan de, which signifies uh, hope for this marriage to be yuan man or fulfilling. Interestingly, Muolan's fan is pear-shaped. In Chinese, that translates to li, which is the same sound as li or separation. I'm pretty sure the director or showrunners purposefully chose the shape of the fans as a way of foreshadowing the future of Minglan and Muolan's marriage. Now on to clothing. Minglan is wearing green when most weddings in Chinese dramas have the bride wearing red. The custom for the groom to wear red and the bride to wear green began in the Sui Dynasty or late sixth century and became popular during the Tang Dynasty. The clothing itself is called Jiang Gong Fu, and it is clearly documented in the Jiu Tang Shu or the Old Book of Tang which is a historical book on the Tang Dynasty. The book documents the fashion required for these events for both men and women. For men, red represented good luck and power. For women, the use of the color green has a couple meanings to it. According to my research, the green was preferred by the women of the Tang Dynasty. It did have a meaning of a green leaf making the flower or the red flower better, which is... Uh, again, pretty misogynistic. There's also the saying that red for men represented power and the green for women represented wealth. So the red and green together was very auspicious. The color also has to be green or lu, not qing or cyan. Green is the proper color for a main wife and also the wealthier families can afford green dye and fabric. 
Even if a bride is a dinu or the daughter of the main wife, and she's not marrying in as the main wife or zhengqi, she cannot wear green. It is similar to later centuries and the use of red. A concubine could not use red, only pink. As we also see in this episode, Minglan's outfit is more intricately embroidered compared to her sister. On her head, Minglan is wearing a headdress or crown. In Chinese, it is called a feng guan. The literal translation is a phoenix crown. And this feng guan became more widely used during the Sui and Tang dynasties. And then by the Song dynasty, which is where we are now, the headdresses became very extravagant. They were used for very formal occasions, and this one specifically is for Minglan's wedding. You'll see a small bird on top of it, and I think the red pieces are actually made of coral, but I cannot confirm this. This headdress is extravagant, again to show the importance of the wedding, but later in the drama we'll see Minglan wear another feng guan, but in a bluish color. And that has its own significance. Now, the empress and palace concubines could wear a feng guan regularly. Wives of officials could wear one for special occasions. And commoners could wear a feng guan only really for a woman's wedding. Overall, everything about Minglan's outfit reflects how much Gu Tingye values her and wants the best for her. Her sister Muolan, on the other hand, married into the Count's family, but her wedding outfit was pretty cheap compared to what we see here. Muolan's headdress or decoration, she didn't even have a guan. She used feizui or blue, I think, uh, blue hair accessories um, as part of her wedding outfit. And it is certainly quite cheap compared to what Minglan has. All right, and now on to the next part of the wedding. At the Sheng Manor, the newlywed couple, or I guess the wedding couple, with Gu Tingye performing the duties, presents tea to his new father and mother-in-law. This act is called Jing Cha. By accepting the tea, the parents of the bride accept and bless this union. The main wife, or Wang Dan Yangzi, is the one to receive the tea. Even if Minglan's mother was alive, she would not receive it. This is a very important act, as you see in the drama. Gu Tingye presents the tea with both hands to show his respect. The couple will do this twice. The first time is at home of the bride's side, with the groom performing the duties to pay respects to the bride's family, and then again at the groom's home in which the new bride performs the duties. This practice of Cha is still performed today. Depending on how strict the family is, there are rules on how to prepare the tea, where the hand placement is on the tea cup or tea bowl, etc. All need to be followed. I personally know of a couple of friends when they were getting married and they're of Asian Chinese descent, they do, uh, they ting cha to their family elders. After the tea is presented to Minglan's mother and father, the newlyweds, or the new couple, turn to leave the premises. It is at this point where Grandma Sheng tearfully grabs Minglan's hand. She's sad to see Minglan go and wants her to live well. It's a really sweet 
seeing to see the bond the two grandmother and granddaughter have. And it's lovely to see that Sheng Hong is tearing up as well. Let's again contrast how Ming Lan's sister Mo Lan was married off. For Ming Lan, her family is actually sad to see her leave, or it's more bittersweet. During Mo Lan's departure, only her birth mother Lin Xiangyang cared. The rest of the family was almost more than happy to see her leave, but also depressed at what Mo Lan did to secure her marriage. The atmosphere was totally different. Minglan is escorted out of the Sheng family and brought to the wedding litter, or palanquin. Something interesting to point out is that this is a Ba Tai Da Jiao. Yes, I counted. What that means is there are eight people, and I counted eight people carrying her on this litter. Jiaozi is a type of transportation method where you're carried by individuals. A jiaozi, or as you would say, a litter or a palanquin, was first documented in the Xia Dynasty, which existed in 1600 BC. By the Qin Dynasty, it was a popular transportation method for royalty. In the Song Dynasty, it became more popular to use amongst common people. The wealthiest would have eight people carry the litter. In some dynasties, it represented class and wealth, as only people of a certain class could use eight people for the litter. The most common was two people to carry the litter. You could also use four, uh, and then as you see, eight. Having eight people carry the palanquin during a wedding was a way to show off and to show how much the husband valued his new bride. In plenty of dramas, the main lead would say stuff like, even if you use a ba tai da jiao, or these palanquins with eight people to come to propose to me, I would still not marry you. So ba tai da jiao is used quite frequently, and most people understand that it's a very uh, formal, extravagant way to uh, bring your bride to your family. There's also a custom in which the bride cannot touch the floor between when she leaves her family home and when she enters her husband's home. Typically, what would happen on the route for the bride to walk uh, between the homes onto the carriage is for the floor to be covered by a red carpet, or she would be piggybacked by a male relative when she leaves her home, or else her husband would piggyback her when she arrives at her husband's home. We saw a glimpse of that all the way back in an earlier episode when her cousin Chang Wu got married and she carried his new bride on his back. We don't see it for this wedding, though. On the road over to the Gu Manor, none other than He Hongwen and his cousin-slash-concubine watch the wedding procession. He Hongwen is clearly lamenting the fact that Ming Lan is now marrying another. He tells his cousin that he is off to the mountains to learn and study herbal medicines. He will be gone for a few years at least. To me, this is his way of clearing his head and getting away from his cousin as he advises her not to follow. This is the last time we see He Hongwen in this drama. We will stop the episode recap here as we've covered a lot of history and we're already over 35 minutes into this podcast episode. We will continue with the rest of episode 40 in the next podcast episode. 
Like we mentioned earlier, the drama completely skips Rulan's wedding, but she does get married before Minglan. Similar, I guess, to British society, it was customary for the older daughter to marry first. That's why during Minglan's wedding, Rulan's husband Wen Yanting is referred to Wu Guye already. The book itself was not set in any particular time period, but drew heavily from the Ming Dynasty, so the dynasty after this. So the clothes and customs described during the wedding in the book were more similar or akin to Ming Dynasty weddings instead. I want to close out on He Hongwen's story as told in the book because we don't see him anymore. Ming Lan and He Hongwen never meet again in their lifetime. He Hongwen marries later to a woman from a military background. She's sassy and competent. This woman also marries later in her life, or relatively later. She marries in her 20s, which is quite late for women at, uh, during the Song Dynasty. The cousin, Cao Jinxiu, is quite despicable and tries to have one of her servants seduce He Hongwen. But He Hongwen's wife caught Cao Jinxiu and the servant red-handed. Cao Jinxiu lives a pitiful life. He Hongwen stays true to his word and treats her relatively well, but refuses to grant her any favor or power. His wife holds all the money and power in the household. He Hongwen and his wife have a daughter and son and live a relatively tranquil life. His wife had a childhood sweetheart that she was supposed to marry, but he died tragically in a coup. He Hongwen also never forgets Ming Lan, but he and his wife have a loving and respectful marriage. And I believe this is the best happily ever after that this couple could hope for. All right, and that is it for today's podcast episode. If you haven't already, check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done or follow along with the dramas we're currently watching. If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head on over to Jubao TV. That is J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. One feature that I actually quite like is that they have just a show streaming at any point in time. So if you're kind of like, I don't know what to watch, um, you can just leave it on TV and have it run in the background. Um, I personally enjoy that and my grandparents do too. You can stream it from the website Jumo or else you can access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all of this is free. The music you heard today is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bing Jiuwo, Niu Jun, and play by me. We will catch you in the next episode.